Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Prevention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hold the Line. Now, It is working test season in the UK at the moment, at least. And I'm going to talk a little bit about split retrieves today because they are a type of retrieve which you may well encounter if you do a working test, regardless of the subgroup of Gundog that you do your working test with. So let's just talk a bit about what they are. I'm going to say quite focused on the specific type of retrieve today. So, So a split retrieve... I believe in North America may also be called a double. So basically it's two marked retrieves. So one is thrown and then the other is thrown and then the dog is sent for one or the other of them. And typically the judge will specify which retrieve they would like to have picked first. And that's where the skill is. So when you're training this, you kind of probably want to think about a thrower, um, throwing a a bumper or dummy out to one side of them and a bumper or dummy out on the other side of them. So the skills that are involved in a good, as it were, quote unquote, split retrieve involve a little bit of lining as well now. So when there's only one marked retrieve out and we send the dog for that single mark, we don't really need to line the dog up or point the dog anywhere with our hand, the dog kind of knows where the retrieve is because they saw it fall through the air and hit the floor. And there's no kind of doubt about, is it this one or is it that one? Because there's only one out there. So it's all pretty simple. But as soon as there start to be multiple marks that are thrown, there is the requirement really that your dog can take a line. So there is the need for some lining involved in this. Now, we may or probably have been putting our arm out before this. So, you know, if you've been doing your blind retrieve training to your white fence posts, you may have been putting your hand out and, you know, using using all of this kind of lining in 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 the in the terms of training your blind retrieves. But your dog may not have been paying much attention to your arm and your hand and the line that they're being given because there's only been one place in their mind that they couldn't go. So the idea that your arm is actually communicating something useful to them about the line that they should take isn't something that they've had to grapple with before now. So whilst you may think that putting your arm out there is somehow teaching the dog something before this when you've been doing blind retrieves to a single 
white fence post or to a single location or even memory retrieves when you've been throwing a dummy, walking away, turning around and sending the dog back by putting your arm out and lining the dog up. You may believe that this is somehow imparting something of lining to your dog, but it is probably not. I hate to let you down with that, but it probably isn't because there's only one thing out there. So whether you put your arm out, whether you didn't put your arm out, probably doesn't make much difference to the dog because they're just going to where they believe the good stuff is to their white fence post or to their dummy, which they saw go out there. So your arm isn't really communicating much to them. As soon as there start to be multiple options out there for the dog and you want to make some of those options more successful than others, then suddenly your arm is going to begin to communicate something. So there's a kind of a shift at this point in terms of lining. So let's sort of get back to get back to split retrieves a bit um, away from the whole lining thing. But there are lining drills that we can do to help our lining. Now, you may want to do those before your split retrieves, but it's also possible to teach the dog the first steps of lining within the split retrieve itself. So we don't necessarily have to have done that before. So, all right, let's talk about split retrieves. So the tricky thing about split retrieves is that most dogs are going to naturally want to go and get the last thing that they saw fall through the air. So it doesn't really matter how many um, retrieves are out there. Whichever the last one is, is probably, statistically, the one the dog is most likely to want to go and get left to their own devices and without any training. And that's because it's the one that they saw fall through the air at that moment that they're most connected to in that moment. They've just seen it hit the floor. They're really connected to that retrieve and it has a lot of suction for them and a lot of appeal for them in that moment. So that is the one that by default and without training, they're going to want to go and get. And so most of our training with split retrieves is trying to teach the dog that it's not about going to get the last one they saw fall. Because most of the time, if a judge wants to make something a little tricky or to test you or to see if your dog really understands a concept, they're probably going to ask for the first one down because that's the slightly harder retrieve when we've got two out there. I'm just talking about two at this point. So um, let's talk about how we go about achieving this, how we go about teaching the dog that it may be the first retrieve that they saw fall. So the first question or the first thing to uh, topic, as it were, is which, you know, if you've got your thrower out in front of you and they're throwing a bumper out to one side of them and a bumper out to the other side of them, which one are they going to throw first? Are they going to throw to the left first or are they going to throw to the right first in training and when we're trying to help the dog be successful to begin with? So I suggest that if the dog is at heel on your left, which is the conventional place for the dog to be at heel, that you ask the thrower to throw first to their right and then to their left. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that if we are starting to train our split retrieves, we want to teach the dog to go and get the first bumper or dummy down, because that's the slightly harder thing to do. Why do we want the thrower to throw to their right first? Their right. So our left, their right. I'll give you three seconds to think about that. Okay, so the reason why is because when we use our arm to line the dog, or if you're, if you're in North America, you may just be using your hand sort of um, above your dog's head. So it may not be the entire length of your arm, um, but that's fine. This still works for you guys too. So the reason is when we use our arm or our hand, we can 
we can help ourselves a little bit by blocking the dog's view of the bumper we don't want them to get. And we can only do that due to the, the, I don't know, the physicality of it and the setup of it if the thrower throws the first retrieve to their right. So if the thrower in front of you throws the first retrieve, the one you want the dog to get to their right, and then the one you don't want the dog to get to their left, then when you put your arm out, if you imagine that, and you're lining the dog to the retrieve, which is to the right of the thrower, your arm is acting as a barricade, as a barrier. It's blocking the dog's view of the bumper you don't want them to get. So that's going to help the dog because they can't see that one anymore. That one that they were really connected to, which they just saw fall through the air and hit the ground, you are now kind of almost stepping in the way with your arm and you're kind of blocking their view of that and helping them refocus back on that first one that hit the floor. So this is the first thing you're going to do to help your dog. You are going to send the dog to the bumper, which is on the thrower's right to begin with. And that would be the the first kind of um, scenario that we're going to work on. And remember, we're always sending the dog for the first dummy throw-in at this point, because that is the slightly harder thing and the thing we need the dog to understand first. So once the dog can do that, then you can have the thrower throw the first dummy or bumper to their left. Now, when the thrower throws the first dummy or bumper to their left and you put your arm down to line the dog up, the whole field of vision is going to be open to the dog. They're going to be able to see everything. They can see the one you're pointing at, but they can also, if they turn their head, easily and freely see the the one you don't want them to get. So that's why that that sort of um, setup is a little bit harder. So we still want to be able to achieve that, but we're just not going to start with that to begin with. We're just going to start with sending them to the one on the thrower's right to begin with. So let's set up, let's talk about a few more um, factors and things that we can set up to help the dog be successful in this exercise. So the next sort of topic I want to talk about is how close the thrower throws the dummies or bumpers to themselves. Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now, the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now, the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself, and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. So it's really important when we're training 
using force-free methods, that we try to look ahead and we try to foresee the problems and the mistakes that a dog is likely to try to make. Because if we can foresee those and anticipate them, we can put things in place to prevent them from happening. And if we can do that, then the dog's just never going to make these errors. And that's kind of perfect because the habit that we want the dog to practice is then going to get practiced. And the unwanted stuff is never going to get rehearsed and gradually will just never be chosen. It will just never be um, a possibility that the dog is aware of. So we also, by the way, don't want to be interrupting mistakes by going, oh, oh no, or things like that, because this is going to be dinting the dog's confidence if we do that. And it can just create lots of problems and it's not necessarily going to teach the dog the thing we want to teach them. So we want to try to avoid having to do that. So let's talk about how close the the, the dummy is going to be thrown to the thrower and why that is important. So if the thrower, I recommend that the thrower throws the first correct dummy, the one you want them to get, about as far out to their side as they reasonably can, a pretty far high throw. And then they're going to throw the second incorrect quote unquote dummy, the one we don't want the dog to get, quite close to them on the other side. So literally just a few meters away. They can still throw it pretty high in the air if you want, but just not far out to the side. And the reason for that is that if the dog tries to get the incorrect dummy or bumper, the one you don't want them to get, the thrower can easily pick that up before the dog reaches it. And that way the dog's not going to get reinforced by completing a retrieve on the incorrect dummy. And we don't want to be doing this often, having to pick dummies up while the dog is on their way to them, because that's just um, it's a bit punishing for the dog and we just don't want to, that to be happening. But it's going to happen every now and again. The dog tries to get the 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 one we don't want them to get. And we have to have something in place for those moments, those occasions when it happens. So we are going to make sure that the one we don't want the dog to get is always thrown at this stage a few meters away from the thrower so that they can easily get that bumper before the dog gets to it. So that that's an important thing to say. It's also a good idea to make sure you're doing these drills, by the way, on pretty short grass so that you don't have a dog hunting up a big area or drifting away from a location of fall back to the other bumper because they want to go look for that one instead. You want it to be pretty easy for the dog to just to line to the thing that they saw. So keep the cover pretty short and, you know, not not dense um, at this stage. So when you see that your dog thoroughly understands the concept of lining to the first dummy or bumper down and they're never being tempted by the second dummy which is falling by the thrower then you can have the thrower begin to throw that second dummy gradually out further to that to that side so until you're throwing them kind of the same distance either side of the thrower and the dog is still successfully lining to the retrieve so that's just something you're going to gradually adjust over multiple sessions as you see that your dog is able to be successful now further help let's talk about other ways that we can help help the dog to be successful here so the thrower can throw the correct dummy the one that you want the dog to get high and with a tempting whoop 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 what is this and really it'd be really exciting um and you know the way that you throw it is like it it goes up in the air quite high and it falls maybe bounces a little bit on the floor it's very exciting and then the one you don't want them to get you could be pretty boring with you can just go hey, hey, in a spoken voice, and then just chuck it very boringly out to the side. So it's like, it's much more understated in the way that it is thrown. 
obviously, through many reps, you're going to, as the dog is successful, gradually increase the excitement of the one you don't want them to get until you are able to be exciting with both of them and still have the dog be successful. But to begin with, you're going to dial down the excitement level of the of the incorrect dummy, as it were. So next, if we need to help the dog more, instead of having the handler with dog at heel opposite, standing opposite the thrower, we can move the handler with dog at heel off center from the thrower so that the they're kind of opposite where the correct bumper is going to fall. So that instead of the dog having to sort of start from the central position to go to either the correct or the incorrect bumper, we can instead have the dog start opposite the the location of fall, the predicted location of fall for the correct bumper so that they just have to go straight ahead and get the correct one. And the one we don't want them to get is kind of off to the side and it's kind of less um, appealing for that reason. So after over many reps, again, you're going to slowly shift the handler and the dog back to the central position until they were opposite the ha- their thrower so that you you dial that back again as well. Now, whenever you're practicing these splits, if you attempt to line the dog up for the one you want the dog to get and you realize that the dog is is not looking, so you should always kind of look out the corner of your eye at your dog and just see what are they looking at. Are they going la 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 looking at the sky (laughs) or are they looking at the incorrect bumper or are they looking where you're pointing at the one you want them to get? So ideally, you want the dog to be locked on to the bumper that you want the dog to get. So if the dog is staring fixedly at the incorrect bumper, don't send the dog. Just just move up closer to the correct bumper and just see how close you have to go. So every now and again, just walk a few steps forward, stop walking, sit the dog at heel, line the dog up. Are they looking yet? If not heel, walk the dog closer, line the dog up. Are they looking yet? So when you've got the dog sitting at heel and able to lock on to that bumper on the floor, the correct bumper on the floor, then you can send the dog. But if you send the dog when they are looking at the incorrect bumper, then that's where they're going to go because dogs go where they're looking. So they're just going to naturally want to go, you know, to whichever one they're looking at. So don't kind of, because sometimes people are like, oh, they're looking at the wrong one, but I'm just going to send them anyway, because maybe they'll just Maybe they'll take my arm. Maybe they're just looking over there and they're not actually going to go over there. So don't do that. <laughs> just make sure the dog is locked on to the correct one, the one that you want them to go and get, no matter how close you have to walk, um, even if it's like ridiculously close until the dog can see it on the ground in front of them. So, yeah, and then you've got to work back from that over many, many sessions. So the last thing to talk about is this idea of of verbal cues on split retrieves and how these can sometimes be useful. Now, whether you're allowed to use verbal cues in competition depends very much on the subgroup of gun dog that you have, whether it's a, a retriever or HBR, Spaniel, and where you are competing, so which country you're competing in and what the rules are where you are. So this this may not necessarily be something that everybody can do, but I'm going to talk about the cues that are not necessarily verbal in a minute, because maybe there are other cues that you can give your dog. So before we get onto all that, how can verbal cues be useful for people who want to use them in, you know, if you're if you're one of these people who are lucky enough to be able to use them? So in a test situation, you will often know in advance which bumper or dummy you need to have your dog retrieve first. So the judge will often say to you before anything is thrown, I'm going to ask you for the first dummy thrown. They don't always, by the way, sometimes they wait for them both to be thrown and then they tell you which one they want. But sometimes they'll tell you before either are thrown which one it's going to be. So if you have the advantage of knowing before any are thrown, or you may have heard from, 
you know, if it's a test, you might have heard from other people on the grapevine that they're asking for the first one. <laughs> so if, um, if it's a test and you have the advantage of knowing that, then it means that when the dummies are being thrown and they're in the air, you are standing there watching them and knowing which one is going to be the one that you need your dog to get and which one you want your dog to leave. Now, it would be really good if you could communicate that to your dog at that moment. So the dog's kind of getting the idea that, you know, that thing, that's the thing I'm going to go and get. And that thing, that's the thing I really should not go and get. So in a way, this communication is a bit like a pre-cue. It's a bit like a heads up for the dog. And it's going to prepare the dog for the task before you actually send them. And I think it gives the dog a more chance of success in that way. It means that they're kind of getting more time to mentally prepare for the what, what they're going to be expected to do in a minute. So my pre-cues in this situation, when when the retrieves are in the air, is simply yes, 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 for the correct retrieve, repeated calmly and quietly while it's being thrown and while it's in the air. And then no, no, no for the one that I don't want the dog to get. So you can choose any word you like. It doesn't have to be the same words that I use, but it's probably simplest if they're one syllable and if they don't sound like any other cues. Now, these cues, especially the no, 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 that that's neutral. It's not an aversive. I'm not going no, no, no. It's, it's very neutrally delivered. And if your dog has a history of hearing no as an aversive, for example, or even yes as a marker word, then you might want to choose different words because that's going to help your dog um, if, if you don't have other associations with these words. So you'll kind of get the idea when you are training at, that your dog's starting to understand what these pre-cues mean. When you start to say no, 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 and the dog, when they hear that, stops looking at the one that retrieve which is being thrown because they know that's not the one so when that starts to happen you know your dog is starting to figure out what this pre-cue means so you can just start to say the pre-cues in training um whilst you know the retrieves are being thrown because you're going to know in training which one is the one you're going to send the dog for so you're not always going to get notice, as I said, of which retrieve you're going to be asked to get first. So sometimes they'll both be thrown before you're told and you won't be able to use a pre-cue in that situation. Um, but sometimes you will know. Now, it's important to just add here that with some subgroups, especially, for example, retrievers in the UK and under some judges, you might be marked down if you used verbal pre-cues in this way. It might be considered noisy handling, for example, or sort of speaking excessively to your dog. So it might be something to check out beforehand as to whether or not you can use them. They're going to be said very quietly if you do use them. Now, there may be cues that you can use which are not actually verbal, for example, um, and you might want to experiment with those. For example, you, the handler, might want to lean slightly forward in your body language for the retrieve which you are going to send the dog for. And when the retrieve which you're not going to send the dog for is being thrown, you may want to lean backwards a little bit away from it and this can become your cue so cues do not have to be words they do not have to be verbal they can be anything that the dog is able to discriminate and differentiate and be aware of as a cue so people humans tend to think of cues as being words mostly but they don't necessarily have to be and in fact dogs often respond better to body language than to words. So if you want to experiment with some cues which are not words as your pre-cues on your splits, then by all means do that. And probably no one's even going to really be aware that you're doing this if they're watching you, because it won't be very obvious. So let's move on. So making things more challenging. So to make things 
more challenging with your splits, the next kind of step up would be to have a mark thrown on one side of the thrower and a blind being on the other side. And then you're going to usually, the more difficult thing would be to send the dog for the blind because they haven't seen anything there and they're going to have to resist the temptation of the mark and they're going to have to really take your line. Um, where, you know, It's, it's going to be a bit more challenging to, to ask them to go and get that one. So to begin here, you're going to start with your white fence post. So hopefully before you've done before you get onto this, you've done your blind retrieve training. And by the way, there's a course on my website called Blind Retrieves at forcefreegundog.com, which covers this whole subject of using white fence posts to teach blinds. And when you get onto your splits, this is very useful because then you can then stick your white fence post out there on one side and you can put a dummy pile at the base of it. And instead of just becoming a cold blind immediately, you've kind of got a sight blind, which is a bit easier for the dog to start with. So you were then going to implement everything we've already talked about pretty much here, but in the context of a blind and a mark. So, of course, also, by the way, your your lining skills are, are going to be um, more is going to be called called upon from your lining skills here as well. So. The advice we've described already or I've described already here is going to be still relevant and you're just going to implement all of that. So again, you'll begin with your blind, which is the one you're going to ask the dog to get on the right of the thrower so that you can use your arm to block the mark to begin with after it's been thrown. And you can, the mark's thrown on the thrower's left, I should add. So the blind's on their right, the mark is on their left to start with. And then once your dog has got that concept, you can switch those two things around. And when you line the dog to a blind on the thrower's left, the whole field of vision is going to be open to the dog and your arm is no longer going to be able to function as a barricade. So that's a bit harder, just as before. So again, you can ask the thrower to be boring when they're throwing the mark and not to try to draw too much attention to it at first. And you can ask the thrower, or you should ask the thrower to throw the mark close to them at first in case they need to pick it up before the dog gets it, if the dog goes for the wrong one. You can also stand off center, like we talked about before. So you can stand with the dog at heel opposite the blind pole to begin with, rather than in a central position opposite the thrower. And if you line the dog for the blind pole and you find that they are staring fixedly at the mark in a very determined way, then don't send the dog because they're going to go for the mark and you don't want them to do that. Instead, move up closer to the blind pole until the dog is able to lock onto that blind pole. And also use a verbal pre-cue if you're able to use verbal pre-cues like no, 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 whilst the mark is thrown. So then you can turn and line for the blind. So just as before, after that, it's about gradually adjusting those parameters as the dog is able to be successful. Until you reach the point, the goal, the ultimate the ultimate goal, where you're able to do everything. So you can line to the blind on the left of the thrower. You can have the thrower be very exciting when they're throwing the mark and the dog is still able to go to the blind. You can have the thrower throw the mark further away from them to the relevant side rather than always right really near to them. You can stand with the dog at heel opposite the thrower in a central position instead of off center in front of the blind. And eventually, once you've been practicing this and the dog's really got the concept, you can then remove the white fence post and it will become a, a cold blind. You might consider standing a large white bumper on the ground as a bit of a transition at that point. So you won't adjust all those parameters at the same time because that would be lumping instead of splitting. You want to just um, adjust one parameter at a time until you've gradually got all of that achieved as your end result. And lastly, on the subject of 
splits, just to go back to the idea of two marks, or even the, the mark on the blind, we want to make sure that the dog is able to go to the first retrieve thrown because we've spent so much effort sorry the the second retrieve thrown we've, we've spent so much effort teaching the dog to go to the first retrieve thrown or the blind in the in the blind exercise we do need to double check that the dog can still go to the tre- second retrieve thrown or the mark when they're required so the reason for this is that dogs just learn by concept and the concept here can easily become always go to the first one down or always resist the mark and this isn't necessarily a bad thing in fact it's a it's a sign of an intelligent dog, but we do need to just check that we can still ask the dog to go for the second mark or or the only mark in the mark and blind scenario, just in case that's what is required. So we don't need to practice that a lot because the dog is probably naturally going to be able to do that unless they've overapplied this concept. So we just need to double check that we do have that working as well. Should we be asked for the second one down so that that is um, functioning too. So anyway... I hope those ideas has been a little kind of blitz um, in depth on split retrieves here today. I hope you're able to follow all of that. And I hope that it's useful for those of you who are doing some working tests this year. That's all for this week, everybody. And I will see you all next time. Hold, 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 hold,